internet. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is your absolute favorite podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. J.D., will there be learning? Yeah, all right. <laughs> will there be science? Yeah, okay. <laughs> will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends? We'd be talking about this anyways. You got it, dude. I ran out of breath on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Breath is straight up overrated. Yeah. Um, Very much so. It's annoying. It's tacky. Yeah. <laughs> Breath is tacky. I said it had it. a moment, but it's like over, you know? It had a moment. It's finished. She's yeah. done. Yeah. It's giving yeah. no thanks. <laughs> it's giving goodbye. It's giving thanks. Uh, welcome back, Joanna, to another episode of Real Psych. Thanks. How welcome you been back doing? to you. I'm good. Uh, I, I'm going to, I mean, I think I'll share the news. <laughs> what news? The news about me. Oh, is that why you're glowing? <laughs> I think it also really goes into this this movie, this pick, like very well too. As I was yeah. like researching it, but I am expecting a baby. A baby? What? A baby girl. A baby dog. <laughs> um, a baby human. A baby human. Yeah, That's so I'm, exciting. I made it myself. A baby girl. You made it yourself entirely yeah. by yourself. <laughs> no Uncle Frank's necessary. No Uncle Frank. <laughs> Congratulations. I knew Thanks. this news. So yeah. I, for, sorry, I should be I should be more effusive. I was and have been effusive throughout this whole process. <laughs> Do you imagine um, if you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was surprised when I heard the news the first time, but happy surprise. Yeah, yeah. I was floored. I was like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited to be an uncle mm -hmm. to a sweet widow baby. And I'm super excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, mom, child, parent, child, child Motherhood. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember watching this movie as a kid and really feeling the like relationship between Kevin and his mom and feeling very similar about mm -hmm. me and my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, I'm also a youngest child mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and she, I, my mom never had long hair, but like they have a similar energy. It's also like, it's like that nineties mom. moms, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I was born in the late two thousands, but <laughs> But it was a throwback. My mom was born in the 90s, so it makes sense that she'd be like, that's her sort of maternal <laughs> reference. Right. Um, no, uh, yeah, I really do remember um that. Uh I I love uh I love this movie, although it it this is one of those movies that is a family film mm -hmm. that really is for the whole family in the sense that like there are jokes and nuances that I did not understand as a kid. Yeah. yeah. That like as an adult, I think are so funny. Yeah. Like, well, I, I had never seen this movie, so I had no, Oh my gosh. You never saw this movie as a kid. That's right. You said that yeah. at the end of the last episode. I forgot. Yeah. So I actually Blacked watched this with, I watched this with my dad who was also shocked that I had never seen this movie. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so it was really interesting to see it for the first time. I had like reasons why I didn't want to watch it when I was a kid. Like they, burglars. Well, I was like, he's such a troublemaker. Like, I don't like troublemakers. <laughs> 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 like, I had no empathy for this character. And I just was like, why can't he follow the rules? And I just don't have space in that, for, like, for that in my life as a young child. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, that's this came so out of funny. what, 1990? Yeah, 90, like, I this think, is 90, like, 91. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was like three or four. And then, obviously, when everyone was you know, a little bit older, I, yeah. I was still like, mm, 
those are the boys in class that I do not talk to. I do not mess with because I don't have time for that. I need to keep my trapper keeper cool. Like I just was like, (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't interested in hearing their stories, you know? Oh my gosh. The nature of like, everyone in this family hates me. When I grow up, I'm living alone. Like when, no, when I grow up and get married, I'm gonna. When live I grow up alone. and get married, I'm living alone. Yeah, I'm living. I related to this boy <laughs> so deeply, <laughs> uh, so much. Um, yeah, he's the youngest child. I'm the youngest of of four. Yeah, and he's and the, youngest I'm the youngest of five. cousin on each side as well. Um, oh, so I, okay. I don't even have a fuller. Like I don't even you have were, a, a you younger who is Kieran Culkin. You know. Yeah. Um, and I was blonde, uh, and, and once again, blonde, Very um, blonde. this is assisted. This is an assisted blonde <laughs> for those watching on YouTube. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I really like related to him. I actually think a lot of his, like, uh, me versus the world kind of stuff. I really like related to when I got mad, mm-hmm. I would like threaten to just like run away. And I was like, I'll live in the woods and I'll when everybody goes to work and school, I'll just like sneak in and eat food out of the fridge. Like that was my plan. <laughs> I was very like, I don't need yeah. you. Yeah. But thinking that that was what that meant. I do think it's interesting though. Like you say, like you don't want to be like those boys, but if you, in hindsight, watching the film, he's actually like a very uh, meticulous and like conscientious boy. He does laundry when he, he wants he to. He decorates the Christmas tree. He, he was able to like really grow up in a matter Mm -hmm. of minutes when he realized Mm -hmm. his family was gone and his whole family was shocked that he had done all this in their absence. So he was thinking he was on his own. I better, I better grow up and, and, you know, be the man of the house. I think he says, which makes me more mad at him because I'm like, you know how to do stuff. You're just being a little learned. He learned. Yeah. Could he have been more helpful yeah, he's also like what an eight-year-old boy. Yeah, he's eight. He's eight. He's in second grade. Yeah, like second-grade boys are not trying to do the laundry, right? Typically. Neither are like thirty-eight-year-old boys, in my experience. It's a real thing. <laughs> no, but honestly, I don't know. I was like, I don't need more eight-year-olds in my life. You know, eight-year-old boys. Well, good news. You, in in uh, about eight and a half years, you're gonna have an eight year old girl. <laughs> so yeah, so it's all going uh, according to plan. When now she goes I, up and gets married. She's living with you. She's <laughs> living with you. I really think like I, that was definitely my mentality. Like when I was, I don't know. I remember being like, mm, "That's not for me. Like it's just not. <laughs> that's not content for me." And now watching it, I'm like, I was right. Like, I wouldn't have liked this <laughs> when I was little. But uh, it is like, I mean, it's an adorable movie. Like, it's it's adorable. It's, there are parts. The feasibility of this film works really well when you're a kid, and not mm-hmm. at all when you're an adult. Yeah. Um. Should we synopsize yeah, this? Let's recap. There's actually not that many things Plot that points, happen. Yeah. Uh. There's sort of two simultaneous storylines, but it we open on rich Chicago. Mm-hmm. This is like rich Chicago too. I remember like not totally understanding until I was like a little bit older. I remember as a kid being like $122 for pizza. That's so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it wasn't until I was an adult that I understood the nuance of like the ways in which like uncle Frank refuses to pay for the pizza and like these different, like, things, yeah, like yeah. the selfishness of uncle Frank. And like, there's a lot of like dynamic that like, I think as an adult really like if it, when like she forgets him on and, and she's on the plane and she goes, I forgot my own son. And he goes, if it makes you feel any better, I forgot my reading glasses, <laughs> which like he's such an idiot. Like yeah. he's such an ass. Yeah. That, like as a kid, I didn't quite understand like when he's telling her to put the champagne glasses in his purse and like these different things. Like he's he's such a a, a jerk or like John Candy being like, you know, I left my kid in a in a funeral, funeral. parlor. Yeah. And he was there with the body. And, you know, after six, seven weeks, they start talking again and it's fine. <laughs> and she's like, let's stop talking about this. And he's like, you brought it up. She's like, I wish I hadn't. Like, <laughs> like, like that conversation is for adults, right? Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not an inappropriate conversation for kids to hear, but it's the kind of thing where like, as a kid, you're like, huh, 
<laughs> like you don't. Yeah, it it's funny. Those are the parts I thought were the funniest. Yeah, well, John, they were the, just they John were... Candy in general. John Candy, like, so yeah. good. Polka, polka, polka. Mm-hmm. Polka King of Chicago. Oh, these <laughs> these are songs. Yeah, we sold like you know six, seven hundred copies back about in the seventies. They're so. really big in Sheboygan. Really big in Sheboygan. Uh, the Polka King of Chicago. Anyways, let's synopsize. So we start on rich Chicago suburb. Mm-hmm. It's like money. the a couple of days before Christmas. A couple of days before Christmas. The house, house is chaos. Chaos, like so full of people. Um, all these craziness happening. And Joe Pesci as a police officer shows up and you're like, oh, look, a police officer. And he's like, we're just trying to make sure you've made the proper precautions. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, don't worry. We've got timers on our lights and locks on our doors. That's about as good they as tell them, yeah. they just tell this man. He, I, again, not, I knew that Joe Pesci was the bad guy, but like he's, it's a leather jacket with like a patch on it. Like it's not a particularly good police officer. Uniform, but do you know But funny? everyone's so busy. Maybe you know what's like, funny? Actual fact. A lot of people who watched this movie as children didn't realize that the police officer and the burglar are the same guy. That's interesting. So the costume worked um, yeah. on kids. I, I know people that as adults, like I've seen the meme on, on Instagram that are like, uh, you, when you, how I was this t- today years old when I realized that the police officer is the burglar. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I was like, that's y'all. <laughs> that's really funny. Do better. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So Joe Pesci uh, is casing the joint. Kevin establishes himself as an as a little scrappy Annoyance. little nobody. He's a bit of a pest. <laughs> the whole family kind of looks down on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't know how to pack a suitcase. His cousin calls him les incompetents. Um, <laughs> uh, his brother teases him. Uh, and then uh, it all comes to this big head when uh, they don't have any cheese pizza left. His brother... I also thought his brother as a kid, I thought he was throwing up, but he's doing a bit where he's like, do you have any plain cheese? And he goes, we had, but if you want any, somebody's going to have to barf it all up. Kev, get a plate. And I just thought he was like going to throw up. He was actually going to get sick. But no, his brother's like teasing him. His brother's mocking him. He did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. And Kevin like bowls into him. He then knocks over cups of milk on passports and things like that. They throw away Kevin's plane ticket by accident. Nobody notices. Oh. They show the the like American Airlines plane ticket right. go into the trash. Just one, but anyways. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin gets in trouble. He go. He gets sent upstairs by his mom, and he's like, and and he goes, I never see. I I I don't like any of you. I I hope I never see any of you again. And his mother says, I really hope you don't mean that. And he says, I do. When I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. And you know, she makes him go upstairs, and he goes to sleep. Next morning. The power goes out in the middle of the night. That's right. So none of their, none of, yeah. None of their alarm clocks work. Yeah. They wake up to the like airport transportation knocking on their door. They, you know, are trying to get out of the house as quickly as possible. They assign the, um, you know, people counting to the oldest daughter. Heather. Who, yeah. Who, Heather, do a head count. Yeah. Who misses Kevin. Apparently. She, well, there's a the neighbor boy is there looking through people's bags and she taps him on the back of the head thinking it's ah. Kevin. That's the kid who goes, bring me back something French. Right, 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 right. Um, okay. That was like such chaos. I totally missed that. But that yeah. makes total sense. Do you know sense. what kind of mileage these cars get? Do you know what I can... <laughs> like, I don't know. Beat it, kid. Yeah. That kid. She, she's turned around she, going through somebody's counted. suitcase and like undoing yo-yos and different things like that. And she gotcha. counts him on the back of the head. Gotcha. Five boys, six girls, and a partridge in a pear tree. Right. Um, and the family leaves, rushes through the airport, run, run, Rudolph. Santa got us make it to town. You just made it. And then they get on the plane, they take off, and Kevin wakes up mm-hmm. from the third floor because he had to sleep up there with Fuller. So Fuller didn't want the bed. Fuller played by Kieran Culkin, his actual little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin discovers he made his family disappear and then immediately is elated and yeah. he's so excited he goes around mm-hmm. the house montage of like ah, and then he does a bunch of kid stuff <laughs> to be honest like this movie like summarizes actually pretty quickly he does a bunch of kid stuff and then the burglars try to come back and he like mm-hmm. 
sees them coming in and he turns on the light in the basement to show that he's like home. Yeah. And then they leave and they're like, we're going to come back tomorrow at nine o'clock. And then in the 24 hours between this, Kevin like goes to ask Santa if they'll, if he'll bring his family back. He buys groceries. Yeah. He goes shopping. He like has a bunch of like cute little moments. Um, yeah, where he's like, like well, I'm um, the adult here and I live here alone. I'm the adult here. He does the very famous shower scene where he like puts the the stuff on his face aftershave. and then he screams. Yeah, the aftershave, yeah. Um, which was so so iconic. He does scream a lot. There's like that. There's yeah. that is the most iconic scene. But there's so much like screaming. <laughs> there's so much screaming. Honestly. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin in this movie is so infectious and charming. He is a straight up movie star. Oh, yeah. I mean, he like he carries this movie, which like not easy to do. Yeah, not easy to do. And he as, this isn't even his first John Hughes film because he did Uncle Buck starring John Candy mm-hmm. already as well. So he's a, he's already a very famous actor. I we could go into the the experiences of uh, Macaulay Culkin at some point, but but that's not today. But mm. I, I really was like taken aback by like realizing like, wow, like this is really amazing that this kid can really hold this whole film mm-hmm. as well as he does. Um, anyways, he's incredible in it. Um, lots of screaming as like an eight year old boy who's alone in a house should do. Right. Yeah, like, He's he, got a good scream. He's got a good scream. Um, meanwhile, his mom is trying really hard to get like mid air realizes yeah so it's classic yeah uh just horrible it's just horrible uncle frank um (laughs) yeah uncle frank just continues to be an ass it's really it's just such funny writing um and he uh and and she's now trying to get back the whole family's like oh well we're gonna go to our you know my brother's apartment we're going to go at his his rich Paris apartment and you stay at the airport. And he has the dumbest line where he literally, as they kiss goodbye, do you, do you know what he says to her? No, I don't know. They kiss goodbye. He goes, and don't you get lost. <laughs> Just like, oh my God. What? Also, this actor, John Hurd, John yeah. Hurd, I think is his name. He actually came and watched us do Home Alone the musical when we did it. The what, the guy who played the dad? The guy who plays the dad. Yeah, he it's came amazing. and saw it. He came and saw the musical. Um, anyways, uh, and the uh the mom's trying to get back. Uh everything's booked. It's really hard. Booked. She gets one old couple to trade her like half of her worldly possessions yeah. for just for a ticket on this plane, including two first class tickets and a different, you know, uh, just like a day later. Uh sh- they Almost don't, but then they do. It's not Wilford Brimley, but it seems like it's Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. But it's not Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in she goes to Dallas to Scranton, Dallas to she's... Scranton, and then I think she's in Scranton when she mm-hmm. meets the Polka King of Chicago, John Candy, who's like, "Hey, we're renting a car. We're gonna drive to Milwaukee, so we have to go past Chicago. We can drop you off." And she's like, "Great, I'll get in a van with all of these strange men." Right. Um, also it's like a moving van, right? They're all sitting in the back of a moving van. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a passenger van, which I didn't understand when I was a kid. I was just like, okay. Fun, mom. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, back in Chicago, uh, Kevin has decided to, uh, fight back. Oh, we also forgot the only other storyline that matters, which is the old man who lives next door, who shovels the sidewalks, who Kevin is afraid of, which is a real, uh, it's a real uh, crazy Pete from now and then previous uh, previous episode on the podcast. It's a real crazy Pete. We think this old man is crazy. uh, Or like a murderer. Or a murderer or something bad. There's lots of rumors to scare kids. The South Glen Shovel Slayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is clearly just a story that this big brother is making up to scare his right. little brother. Cause also right. he's like the next door neighbor. Right. Like he's just another rich person in the neighborhood. <laughs> rich people never kill people. N- literally. Or get away with it. Name 10 examples of rich people <laughs> killing people in the next eight seconds. If you can't do it, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. 10 examples. No, I'm, I'm um, not doing Anyways. Uh, so yeah, that he's scared of this old man. But then right before the burglars come, he goes to church to like pray for his family back. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he talks to the old man and the old man's like, you know, it's okay to be scared because being scared is okay. And he's like, well, you should talk to your son. And that's really all we need to say about that. Yeah. Uh, And then he becomes friends with that man. And then he goes home and he sets a series of booby traps. Yeah. That's like the, the fun part of the movie is the main part of the movie. Yeah. Irons to the face and hot doorknobs. And, and I saw, uh, I think it was like a special Christmas episode of, um, God, what's it called? Like that show where like they prove science things or disprove science things. Anyways. uh, Mythbusters? Yes. Mythbusters where they did like a Home Alone episode and it was like, could you make a doorknob hot with like a, with like a thingy and could you like, and and all of these different. Oh, that sounds good. I would definitely watch that. What would the force be of a paint can on a string, you know, kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tar on the stairs. Tar on the stairs. And they did like that episode with Mythbusters. Turns out okay, a lot of this is fun. actually not possible. <laughs> that is wild. Um, movie but, ruined. Movie ruined. Um, but uh, they... Um... <laughs> Police? Hi, my name's Murphy. These guys are breaking into my house. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I love that. I also only caught it this time realizing he says his address several times, 671 Lincoln Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And in this one on the phone, he says a different address. And you're supposed to think he called the police to his house. But what he actually did is he called the police to the next the house. Yeah. Because he was going to run there to get away from them. Which, yeah, it's the Murphys. Yeah, I just didn't. Yeah. I just like never put it together that he like actually says a different address and everything like that. So it's like, right. if you're listening, it's there. Yeah. Anyways, hijinks, hijinks, hijinks. They get super mad. They finally catch him in this house and then they threaten to like murder him and then shove his fingers off. (laughs) Bite his fingers off. Yeah, it's so weird. They also hang him up by a coat hook, which like he could have just like lifted his arms and just been like, (laughs) like, yeah, it's not a perfect film. Um, (laughs) And the bad or the good guy saves the day. The neighbor, the neighbor, the befriended neighbor. The police come. The wet bandits have been caught. Um, and, and the, he somehow like cleans everything up, cleans like, everything up immediately. Yeah. Goes to bed Feathers. the next morning. He thinks that he is like, I, I feel like the next morning he expects that his family will be back. Like, I, I wonder well, if he asked some, Santa like, for his family back. Oh and yeah. So he's hopeful that Santa's going to bring. Right. Cause it's Christmas. Right, right. Right. It's Christmas. There's a bunch of great scenes with like the mall Santa. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, where he's like, listen, I know you're not the real Santa, but I know you work for him. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like it's, it's actually a really cute, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. a very cute way to also like not ruin Christmas for all the children who watch it where it's like, right. Oh, okay. So maybe the Santa at the mall is not the really real Santa, but he does work for him. So when you ask him for things, like it's, re- it's, it's a nicely done, I mean, yeah. you know, John Hughes classic, but, uh, his family comes back. His mom comes back. Mm-hmm. And he's like, where's the family? She's like, they couldn't make it. And then they all open the door because they just took the flight that was available at the time. But she wasn't willing to wait a day and a right, half right. to get that flight. And. Yeah. And then the whole family's there. And then the old man is hugging his granddaughter because he talked to his son. Yeah. So there's like resolution on there, too. Happy ending. Happy endings. Um. Cute movie though. It was cute. I you know the part that made me the most upset, like ethically. I don't know. I was so mad at the bad guys for keeping the water on. <laughs> at the neighbors, I was like, do you know how much damage that's gonna like? I'm just like thinking about the structural integrity of the house. How like fine, take all the things, but you've destroyed this person's home. You know? Uh, yeah. They are it just bad made guys. me they're very bad. They're that bad made me guys. very upset. Uh, yeah. Also, like it's it's one thing the violation of being robbed. If anybody out there has been robbed, is so yeah. great. It's so scary, and so like even if your physical safety was not in danger, like you feel so violated. Yeah. And so yeah, it is pretty nightmarish that the burglars in this stuff rags in the sink and then turn on all the faucets. It which, made of me course, so much more upset than any other part of what they did. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's yeah. there's a great tweet that goes that goes one call to the police and Kevin could have fixed all of this. But no, he did this on purpose. He was hunting them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, all right. That yeah. uh, that works. Well, their phones weren't working for some 
part of it, but he could have. The phone lines came down with the power, with the power. Yeah. Um, But then the phone lines were back on. But why they didn't just keep calling the house? Because they called the neighbor's house. Yeah, they should have just kept calling the house and he should have gone to the police. Whatever. It's more fun this way. It's more fun this way. It's a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Nowadays, they could have just texted him on his iPhone. (laughs) They could have just checked in on him on their nanny cam. Nanny cam. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. They would have just been like... (laughs) Okay, Google, (laughs) buy ticket to Paris, send Uber for Kevin. He just like gets on the plane. (laughs) Right. Um, He's just like vibing. Yep. Uh, I would love that. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So we kind of gave our reactions before our synopsis today. Yeah. Oops. I... Yeah, I mean, okay, so we can we can like preview what we researched. Yeah. What are we going to talk about today? So, well, it's funny because we almost did the same thing. We almost did. It's the one of the only times that this has happened. And I yeah. we rarely even talk about it beforehand, but today right. I was like, I'm excited to do this. And you were like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. It was good. But I think the thing that came up for both of us, it speaks to I don't know how how prevalent this theme seemed yeah uh, as birth order and kevin's kind of role as the youngest in the family yes and it seems like there's a personal connection for you here so me (laughs) so i feel um good about yielding that topic to you thank you and then i as i was thinking reflecting a bit i was like the other big theme we see here is maternal guilt which is uh I guess I'm gearing up to feel that for the <laughs> for, rest of your for the rest life. of my life. Super excited! No, um, and there's a lot of really interesting like evolutionary perspectives on maternal guilt, and then just yeah. like some, you know, empirical studies on on like the experience of maternal guilt. And I was really interested in gender differences too, mm. because like the yeah. dad seemed really not that like concerned he was like it'll be fine like he just was it was a very different reaction between both parents and then even like uncle frank making that dumb comment and then his wife look giving him like the death stare i mean you know that she's just looking at him all the time like frank like you are such an ass Um, right but it's not like like she knows that that was i will say Having been in many dyadic relationships, friendships, romantic partnerships, et cetera, I do find that there is, and we'll talk about this more on the other side, but I do find that there is like a natural thing of like, especially when they have that many kids, like I think the nature as well of him being like, all right, I'll take care of these kids. You've Mm -hmm. got, you're handling the stress. You're getting there as soon as possible. And I'll continue helping and calling people from the, from Paris. But like that felt believable, at least in that it was like, Okay, because like, haven't you been in a thing where like you're stuck in traffic and you're tr- you're two people trying to get there, and one of you is like, "I'm gonna be the calm voice of reason." Yeah, the, like, yeah. There's like, you it. can't both be freaking out. You can't both be freaking out. So I think totally. I'm just saying maybe it's because he saw me in a play, but I think he's a good person. <laughs> defending. <laughs> I'm just name dropping him while defending him. <laughs> I don't think we talked. Uh, he just came. Yeah. Um. Anyways. I'm excited to talk about birth order. You're excited to talk about your entire future. And we will be back after these massages. Messages. Bye. Bye. That's that's correct. I think so too. Uh, I'm a doctor of knowing when we're back. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. It could be if you were a better mother. <laughs> Great intro to <laughs> what I have prepared. Yeah. Um yeah, I I so I was interested in just like 
Catherine O'Hara. What's her character's name? Uh, Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> Mom. Moira. Um, I was interested in Mrs. her. Mrs. McAllister. Yeah. <laughs> I was really interested in like her reaction, her journey, right? Like she was willing to kind of do everything to get back to Kevin and um, be awake for 60 hours. And uh, she also talks a lot about her guilt. I mean, t- like the, the scene we were discussing before with John Candy of like, mm-hmm. you know, leaving your child <laughs> and the guilt that you feel over leaving your child. Um, and so those themes kind of came up for me. There's uh, like evolutionarily, there's some interesting kind of, theories or background in terms of like the roles uh the mm-hmm. role that that the mother plays um and there's like this theory by ann campbell called mothers matter most and it's like this this theory that you know females bear or mothers bear the brunt of parental investment and um you know there's a lot more cost involved in terms of like carrying the child and breastfeeding and like all of these kinds of investments um the cost of reproduction is higher uh for females versus males i don't know Um, we could say that i mean (laughs) just like the the cost of the actual like no no i think the the conception is 98 percent of the work yeah um (laughs) no but you know there's there's a it's just like an interesting kind of uh real i mean it's a biological reality right absolutely so, like, so um there well, it's are... a it's a biological generalization but based in reality because yeah. like there are families where for like evolutionarily there are lots of reasons why we can see that women have this primary sort of exception there are obviously many many families where there is not a maternal figure that have you know where the of responsibility course. of the children child course, is assumed yeah. and all of those things but We're generally about, speaking yeah. um these assumptions are both externally placed on women and experientially on women uh who birth and carry children of course um, yeah i i think that's like good to to name yeah. there are I also think. families where like, like trans men carry children and right. so yeah but totally. we're speaking in generalizations here well it's um, also from like this uh historical like evolutionary biological perspective and so um i think that's where you know it like females and males um where that's like what the family unit looks like but of course families look very very different um but yeah thank goodness for that yeah um but so you know there there are some again the ann campbell who's like written a lot about the um like evolution of women mm-hmm. uh and basically like um suggesting that these differences in reproductive costs are an underlying explanation for differences in behavior and emotions like guilt right and mm-hmm. there's also some studies that that show that women tend to be less like risk averse uh than men and less uh, risk averse more risk averse sorry Le- less risk taking right. um case in point your co-hosts yeah. <laughs> and you know th- so she kind of ties that that like empirical finding to mm-hmm. this idea that while well, women have like more of the uh burden of, of caregiving and and having you know uh parental responsibility so they're like less mm-hmm. more likely to protect their livelihood to right ensure that they can give care to their children right um but so there is also this idea that they may feel more guilt um and there are some gender differences differences just in like um guilt in general mm-hmm. uh not related to parental guilt but um Basically, you know, guilt focusing on um, feeling like you did something wrong, connected right. to a concern for someone else, how right. that other person's affected by your own behavior. Um, and so there's some like she suggests that 
Ann Campbell, um, mm-hmm. suggest that guilt may serve to inhibit aggression, impulsive actions, neglect in parenting. Um, and so this may like, you know, reduce the risk of abandonment um, and increase the idea that there would be maternal investment in like right. caregiving. Right. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. So like in terms of from a animal behavior kind of perspective, um, humans uh, like have investment from both kind of like uh, parents that are involved and um, that's not the case in every kind of animal uh, and or every human or every well (laughs) yeah uh, but but basically you know there is it's something called facultative fatherhood Mm -hmm. meaning that um, the investment uh, investment like standards mm-hmm. are lower for for fathers and right. for mothers. Right. And yeah, there's some studies that showed like in pre-industrial societies, so like before the 1800s, mm-hmm. fathers and paternal kind of family members have been found to have uh no or very little impact on child survival and reproductive success. Mm. Um and then in you know, since then it's it's does improve like quality mm-hmm. uh offspring quality or, or reproductive success in offspring but um which is just like an interesting finding of in humans but um there's also this thing called the motherhood myth which mm-hmm. is they describe it so this study is about maternal guilt by Anne Rotkirch um and her colleagues and it's uh, described as a cultural tool for manipulating mothers into excessive investment. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> um, and so, you know, maybe the that's is, what John Hughes was trying to do. Right. It's it depicts mothers as these universally present, nurturing, kind, uh, kind of figures, and um, you know, kind of other animals like chimpanzees like primate mothers um who provide or are responsible for like exclusive care kind of mm-hmm. conform to that mm-hmm. um but human mothers like generally do not if they because they have other children because they have a job because they have other things that demand their attention um and so it kind of sets mothers up to feel like they're failing their children all the time um and so there was this study that they did um, in Finland with uh, just like women, uh, mothers with young children writing in about ways they feel guilty about their children. And so like the biggest themes that came up were like feeling any kind of aggression. They like felt guilty about feeling any kind of anger. Anger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um feeling any like feelings of wanting to like exit or like, I wish, you know, like uh, my parents could just take the baby for the weekend so I could just have some me time. Yeah. Um, So like not, you know, doing enough investment or ending the investment, even temporary absences. um, And then preferential treatment of siblings was another kind of source of, of guilt. Mm -hmm. And then there was one, uh, theme that was just about this motherhood myth of just not living up to those high expectations of good mothering. Um, And so these are really like, we see a few of these in the movie. Totally. Um, And so there, this isn't as related to, to the, to the film, but um, work family guilt is another like big area of, of, um, parent like source of uh, parental guilt uh amongst men you know all all parents uh but just like balancing a job and family um and there was one like u.s-based study that looked at um gender differences in work family guilt Uh um and there were like their findings suggest that mothers felt stronger feelings of guilt 
than fathers um, <laughs> and were more like worried about how that impacted their children. And um, <laughs> even above like, so that was even above just like controlling for general propensity for feeling guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like these persistent uh, gender differences. And then there was another study in Turkey with mm -hmm. parents that found the same exact thing. So there is some evidence that like this work family yeah. guilt is is happening with mothers more than fathers. And I think this motherhood myth is like such a huge part of it. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, of just like the cultural expectation that mothers are supposed to do the majority of the child care and child rearing and this, activities. Like, imposed expectation that the mother should be the primary, not just that. Right but like the mother that it falls to the mother. And then, I mean, the, the, the millions of ways that we talk about like men being like, Oh, like, Oh, dad's dad's babysitting. babysitting. Yeah. And it's like, no, dad's just watching the kids like his dad own is children <laughs> dad. Or it's like, Oh wow. Like dad changes diapers. Like that's a keeper or whatever. It's like, he's changed three diapers. Like, right. Like the bar is so low. The and bar it's is like, so low. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you see uh Ali Wong has an amazing joke in her in her stand-up special where she's like, My husband changed a diaper and everybody there's like confetti and balloons, <laughs> there's a parade. And she's yeah. like, My baby took a shit on my chest. <laughs> she's like, Where is my parade? <laughs> it's like just like so real. This like it is yeah. that women should just do it. But they should also be everything i mean in psychology even like freud talks about this like concept of the good good enough mother right mm -hmm. where like is a mother able to give her baby all the baby needs in the first year of life if not this is the ways in which it will developmentally impact your child which is like bro <laughs> like, right no yeah no that is not it she's she not the only had one issues well, and maybe she is the only one, but she's not. The, she may be the only parent, but she's not the only person that can help care for this child. And like, yeah, there are ways to through, you know, hired help through family, through friends, through all the you know what I mean? Like it takes a village and like but mm -hmm. we expect mothers to be the primary ingredient when it's like they are one ingredient, maybe in some families, they're the the organ organizing sort of factor. I mean, I had a babysitter every day five days a week because my mom went to work full time after two months when I was two months old. And, wow. like, and I was seen, I was taken care of by a babysitter. I went to her house. We never called her a nanny, but I guess she would have to be. If she I was taking that, care of you full time. Every, yeah. Every day. I mean, yeah. at least better than like 25 hours, 30 hours a week. Yeah. That Yeah. I'd be at her house. Um, and like that, you know, my mom was the one who coordinated all of that care. Uh, and again, right. my mom was still more so than my dad, uh, you know, you know, it's a uh, really interesting thing too. Cause so first of all, like my Instagram and TikTok, like targeted, whatever algorithm is like only about this topic, by the way, it's just like equity <laughs> in like division of labor, emotional labor, all of that stuff. <laughs> and really just like this, this idea that we as a society are starting to become more aware of this inequality or this motherhood myth. And we're like, you know, men can do more, right. but then there's still this like perpetual, like this, like, um, like, iceberg kind of thing of like what right. you can see and what's observable and what are right. the tasks that uh you know dad can help with uh but it's still the responsibility of mom to uh understand everything that needs to be done and delegate so i, I actually love that that's your algorithm my yeah, algorithm like... is just like mesh tank tops <laughs> <laughs> It's like all of these things and I like send them all to my husband. He's like, <laughs> I know, like, it's okay. Like we, we could talk we're, about this, we got but this. also we're, like, we're I know <laughs> you're very clear on how you feel about this. <laughs> um, but I, I did find another study on multitasking oh, and yeah. well-being. Um, and that's the last thing. But um, the multitasking one I thought was really interesting because they looked at just differences in multitasking, right? Um, and there are some, you know, like studies that are like women multitask more, right? Um, and this this study found that mothers spend about 10 more hours a week multitasking compared to fathers. But um, 
the multitasking that's done for for mothers is like emotionally negative whereas the multitasking that's done by fathers is tends to not really be a negative experience for them um and a lot of those additional multitasking hours that mothers spend are related to housework and childcare and oh yeah that's what's like causing these negative emotions stress you know conflict um but father's multitasking is like which hobby should I do in my free time? It's like not as related to like taking right. care of the house and stuff. So their their time spent multitasking, which is like an ener- a cognitively demanding task, right? It's yeah. like very energy depleting. Yeah, um, does not have that emotionally negative component to it, and so it tends to be less exhausting, which is right. I thought was kind of interesting. I played video games while listening to a CD. <laughs> right. Right. They're like, that wasn't so bad, you know? Yeah. I played I'm poker mul- while drinking. <laughs> I, I multitask. <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad we literally solved parenting today. <laughs> it's fun. It's real fun. It's definitely stuff I already think about constantly. Uh, I think a lot about mesh tank tops. <laughs> so, our algorithms are doing great. Doing the best. Um, so I, yeah, let's talk about birth order. Let's talk about birth order. Also, the (laughs) word birth is such a terrible word. Um, it's a mouthful. So I sort of named at the beginning, uh, I'm a youngest child. Um, and I, uh, I actually identify as a youngest only youngest slash only I'm, uh, six years, eight years and 11 years younger than my older siblings. So when I was like, by the time I was 12, they were out of the house. Oh. Um, also I was like a wee little thing when they were like children, they were like big kids. Um, mm-hmm. so like, yeah. And so, uh, anyway, so I, 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 and I always think of myself as like such a youngest child. <laughs> like I really like, <laughs> and I'm sure you've heard this, right? Like, oh, middle child syndrome, you know what right. I mean? Like, oh, I'm an oldest. Oh, I'm an only like we, we, as a society put a lot of weight on this concept of birth order. And birth order theory was, I don't know if necessarily like created by, but certainly like the the pioneer of research into birth order theory is Alfred Adler, who is, if y'all have ever studied psychology, one of the like the preeminent developmental psychologists out there. Um, are you familiar with Adler? Yeah, a little. I mean, yeah. the name sounds familiar, but I don't know that I've... He's, he's big enough that the term Adlerian like exists, oh, right? Wow. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's, he's pretty big. Um, and so these ideas were essentially brought forth in, uh, in the 20th century by Austrian psychotherapist, uh, Alfred Adler. He had a theory that your personalities develop based on your birth order within your families. Um, and so this has then, because it was such a big deal, it was in the early 1900s that this that this came out, or probably closer to mids, because um, it's a post-Freud construct. But um, he he feel he proposed that um, there were a number of sort of set expectations, so that firstborn children uh, would have a certain set of personality traits, and only children would have another set of personality traits. Youngest children, middle children, right? Um, and according to Adlerian theory, kids who grow up within the same family uh, could have different experiences. So Adler was willing to acknowledge that this is not an entirely universal experience, right? I describe myself as a youngest only, right? Um, but that uh, your birth order uh, and the number of siblings you have has a significant effect. But you know, a, a child who uh, the second child in the family where the oldest child is born with disabilities or, you know what I mean? These, these different things that kind and of there's move like in shape. distance, right? Distance is a big piece as well as, as in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he uh, also, he sort of described that as something uh, called psychological birth order, which is also just your perceived position within the family mm. and named that as more crucial than your numerical birth order, um, which could obviously be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what, what's interesting is a lot of people have done a lot of research into like, all right, let's just look at like lots and lots of people. I mean, pretty obvious study design, right? Like you do, you know, thousands and thousands of people ask them their birth order. 
you know, ask them how they would rate themselves on these different scales. What could go wrong? (laughs) Well, none of it is like randomized controlled trials, right? Like you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so for example, um, uh, a, a 2015 review found that firstborn children had higher levels of intellect than children in other birth order positions. That's uh, what I tell my siblings all the time. Right? Yeah. As well you I'm, should. I'm an, I'm an oldest. I don't know if it's like glaringly obvious for people who are familiar with birth order. Right. But I mean, at this point, you're the oldest child, but the youngest co-host. And it's therefore, true. like that really affects your personality constellation if you it think does. about it at this point. Yeah. Um, but so they found that uh firstborn children had higher levels of intellect, quote unquote, but research found no differences between firstborn children or others in terms of broader personality traits like extroversion, emotional stability, imagination. Um, there's a 2015 study that found uh uh, of U.S. high school students found no significant association between birth order. Uh, a 1992 review determined that uh, Adlerian theory uh, may have gotten it right when it comes to the personality traits of firstborn children, but they mentioned that the research uh, has has a lot of flaws in terms of the birth order theory. Um, there's a lot more on, on firstborns. Firstborns are supposedly more likely to be leaders and have personality traits like persistence and emotional stability. So, um, there's a lot of these different things. Um, and, uh, it, Adler sort of puts it together where firstborn children are supposed to be controlling, conscientious, cautious, reliable, achievement oriented, and, and very structured. Um, middle children are often considered to be competitive or rebellious. Um, uh, often they can be as well, even tempered or a peacemaker, a people pleaser, the social butterfly of the family. Um, and so there's, uh, you know, the the concept of like birth order and mental health has also been like widely discussed, right? Understanding like emotional regulation, emotional conduct. So the assumption is that firstborn children are going to be very emotionally regulated and youngest children will be the most emotionally dysregulated. Mm. Um, and so all of this is to say that um, uh, a recent, so I, I also found a really great thing in, um, uh, from t- a 2019 Scientific American article uh, by uh, Corinna Hartman and Sarah Gudarzi, um, that uh, is looks at exactly this, and they found some nice little balanced kind of feedback here. So um, you know they were able to pull uh, a lot of these big studies, a 1968 study uh, that is this showed, a review. Uh, this is a this is a popular science publication where they've done some good scientific review within it. Okay. Um, and they give some like nice uh, sort of feedback on the the statistical questions that, that, that yeah. belie a lot of this research. So it, they, they pulled up this, like one of the most famous is a 1968 study that showed that compared with later borns, firstborns are less likely to participate in dangerous sports because of fears of physical injury. Right. Another one that says a 1980 study of 170 female and 142 male undergrads showed lower anxiety and higher ego in firstborns as measured by the Howarth personality questionnaire. Mm. Um, and so they named that there are some uh, there's a lot of science, scientific method. I, I'm using quotes for those that yeah, are on YouTube air being used to sort of validate this. But they they brought some really amazing points in here. They showed that like a lot of these studies use really questionable methods, right? Um, a lot of times, uh, families of the uh, members of the same family are asked to assess themselves in terms of extroversion, openness to experiences, conscientiousness, tolerance, neuroticism. Um, the catch is when you ask a whole family at once to uh, review themselves, they do it at, at once, which means. Mm-hmm. There's age differences now, right? Where it's like you've got older siblings asking, how do you compare yourself to your younger children in terms of control, emotional regulation, like, like, um, what's the word? Goal orientation. Um, Another methodological flaw is that usually only one person uh, is used to judge their own personality uh, Mm -hmm. as well as that of their siblings. So a lot of the time they'll have somebody say, great, what are you like? And what are your siblings like? Right? This is not great 
methods for also keeping in mind all of the ways in which we've all been conditioned to, to hear all of these thoughts and all of these assumptions. Yeah, um, totally. So people are subconsciously incorporating these sort of cliches. Um, science, scientists who analyze the larger like transnational data um, and compare different families with each other have found the effect of um, sibling succession on personality disappears almost completely, right? Mm. So the largest studies, uh, what there's one that was over 20,000 interviewees from Germany, the UK, and the US compared everything, um, uh, all people who'd never met, all sorts of things. And uh, they didn't discover any systematic differences in personality. Um, and in a lot of these studies, researchers had to be really, really cautious because in addition to age, um, the size of somebody's family can also intertwine with this sibling position. So similar to, to what um, Adler said, right? The psychological right. position is hugely important. Um, there are some uh, additional effects here that that need to be named. So like um, a child from a family of four has a, you know, a, a, a 50% chance of being a firstborn. Like when you're firstborn, there's a 50% chance that you'll be uh, stay well you're 100 a firstborn but um the more siblings the lower the probability mm-hmm. um and so for example uh astronauts uh there's these statistics that uh many astronauts are firstborns um but that doesn't necessarily speak to the special qualities of those who are born first it's likely that astronauts tend to come from similar families where they're either only children or they're given these kinds of um, advantages, right. but that um, that if you really look at um, once you start controlling for like the number of siblings that people have, uh, the the more siblings that people have, then the more of those are now later born. So the likelihood of being a firstborn is just greater. Right. It's just mathematical. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the the challenges that you're pointing out is just like simply the fact that this that these have to be and by definition are like retrospective studies yeah. and self-report. Yeah. And I I think that that is those are two like huge limitations. I mean, I think about birth order psychology the way I think about like MBTI or like astrology. Like it's like there's enough like um variants in the in the descriptions of, of yeah. like what's associated with each one that you can kind of pick and choose what right it's what this feels confirmation right. bias totally and like even if you list out like you know first uh middle child like youngest child i'd be like oh my gosh that's my family do a d but they're you know it's just because it's like i think culturally imposed i think it's uh there's enough like mishmash of adjectives within totally. each that you can like yeah that fits enough there's so many influences that you know weigh really heavily on the differences of someone's character right genes mm-hmm. are hugely important um the construct I mean, of what it means to get like an undivided environmental attention where like just based on like the socioeconomic status of a family when the firstborn is born versus when the next child is born, right? So like the amount of time that the parents have, you know, can change, right? There's so many like cultural factors. There's the concept of these all being from the same two parents, right? There's Mm -hmm. so much playing in. There's the um, the likelihood that if one grandparent passes away and another comes to live with the family, how that impacts like childhood attention. Um, you know, because a lot of the data, you know, what I think about this uh, a lot of ways is like how um, when people are like, oh, like kids born in October are more likely to be like whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's not because kids born in October have this like ha- have this right. I have this astrology. But like the way we run our school years, right, means that the kids who are and when you're in like first, second, third grade, an additional nine months of development is like mm-hmm. real. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's. And so for us to say that this like kids born in October do well, do better in sports or whatever, it's like, well, no, it's the sports start in September. And so and it's based on the year. So they're like the oldest kid when they do it. Um, There was one thing that said uh, oldest children are most likely to um, have the highest level of education within the family, which Mm -hmm. like in my family is not true. It is true in my family. 
Oh, well. So I, that's I probably a real one. I guess that's you're typical not... and I'm special then. <laughs> I would not refute that one. That sounds pretty sound. To that me. sounds really sound. Um, but no, like, yeah, I have the most education in my family there. I said yeah. it there. There. Everyone was thinking it. But I got the worst grades. Um, <laughs> which I don't know how that happened. Um, but yeah, so I mean, ultimately, right, that like there's just so many things to be thinking about. And so, like, I would encourage y'all to think of birth order just like astrology, where it's like Yeah, that's right. how I think it's like fun. It's fun, it's silly, like yeah, lol, such an only child, blah, 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 right, blah, kind of right. thing. But also like you know, it can, it can be informative, just like we talked about with, with mothering and these assumptions of like how mm-hmm. mother should be. Sure. The assumption that like the mom is supposed to be the, the primary one, but there are lots of families where the father is the primary caretaker, uh, where the mother is also present. There are plenty or of families where or... the dad is a trans man and the, you know what I mean? Or where both parents are of the same sex or gender. There right. are so many families where um, you know, the, the idea that the child's needs won't be met without a cisgendered mother in the primary parenting role is, is toxic for women who are like cis women mothers and for everyone else. Right. It is, yeah. it is so That's harmful. so well said. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is a myth. Yeah. Uh, what an app. This was good. I feel like this movie I did not think was going to bring out all of these things, but there are some real themes in there. There's real, real, There's some real themes, real stuff to explore. <laughs> Truly. And it really affected both of us very personally. <laughs> as you could tell, I think we could both agree at the end of the day that Kevin's mom is a bad mom. And that Kevin is a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> destined for great things. Catherine O'Hara, famous mom. Uh, she's been a mom on so many things. Yeah. Um, because that's what we let women do. <laughs> <laughs> um all right. Y'all, this has been a real one. This week we are we're holding on it's picking the end of the film. year. The end of the year. 2023, what we're going to do is we're going to put it on the Instagram story where where we will let y'all guess. So we'll put the tagline and the year and then we'll give uh, options to see if anybody can guess it without L-Googling and see what we can uh, do. So it'll be a little audience participation. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll be back in January. Yes, so this has been another gorgeous episode of Real Psych. (laughs) I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Witkin. Rate us. Like us. Subscribe. Try to find us on YouTube. I dare you. (laughs) I dare you. (laughs) Try. Just give it a whirl. Uh, We love you all so much. This is the last one of our first (laughs) year. We will yeah. continue. We're we're not going away. But no, uh, we're not. But it's been such a pleasure and we really love and appreciate you all for every week showing up as you really do. It's very cool. It is really cool. And like in seeing some Spotify wrapped people. Spotify wrapped, y'all, was really heartwarming. I just I yeah, it was it was really nice to be even like one podcast among like actual <laughs> podcasts that are very popular <laughs> yeah <laughs> like pretty office amazing. ladies and then our podcast to be such yeah. among such uh such company is really crazy and wild but it's really lovely we love and you and love thanks you so for much. being with us for this first year as we tried a lot of different things figured out our audio learned a lot of lessons um and we'll be back in the new year Happy New Year! Yay! Bye! Love you, bye! Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.